It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, December 26, 2013, the last Virtual Bible Study for 2013. We're glad that you're with us tonight, and we encourage you to give us a call at 877-381-4567, email questions at collegeview.com, or join in the chat room if you're listening to us live tonight at the bottom of your video window. We look forward to hearing from you in any of those ways tonight. And if you're listening to us in the archive, we appreciate you listening. We'll look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions or comments about anything you may hear on the program tonight, we welcome those anytime. Uh, give us an email, questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward Good to, to be our with Bible you study. tonight. And we're glad that, the, that, uh, that you cannot uh, be infected over the Internet. Yeah, because we, we both uh, have a struggling with a little bit of a cold. Something going on there, but I'm on that downhill side. Are you are you struggling as well, Monty? Yeah, I can talk again today. Well, <laughs> yeah, Monty was Monty was bad over the weekend well, too, so see, it's, it's been uh, really been going around here. Yeah. Well, the internet is not contagious. Well, you might want to sit back just a little bit That's from right. your computer screen. We'll try not to cough into the microphone. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, good to be with you, and it's uh, it's amazing that 2013 is already over, and. Uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, and uh, we're moving right along. We're not going to do this again this year, but hopefully we'll no, do it again That's next right. year. That's right. But uh, it's been a good time of study this year, and we appreciate uh, our listeners. Yeah. we got an interesting topic tonight, I think. Oh, first, Jacob, before we get to that, some of our listeners will remember that at this time of year, typically every year, we offer a Bible reading calendar. Yes, we've forgotten about we've that. We've forgotten all about mentioning that. And so if you are a listener who's... Uh, uh, benefited from having one of those Bible reading calendars in the past, or if you'd like to get one for a first time, if you'll send us your snail mail address, we'll send you a paper copy. Uh, just send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and give us your snail mail address, and we'll put it in the mail to you. Or if you would prefer, we can send it to you in electronic version in uh, Microsoft Word format. Or both. You could maybe send them electronic and then send the uh, paper. We could do both. We yeah. can do both. Yeah. But uh, just tell us what you need, but be sure and give us all the appropriate information so that we can get it to you. Either, you know, if you send, if you want it electronically, just send us an email and we'll respond to you. But if you want a paper copy, uh, send us your snail mail address so we can get it in the mail all to you. All right. You can use that email as questions at collegeview.com for the Bible reading calendar. You got a few, you could get it to them by by yeah, Day. if they if they but get you've right, got to hurry, you act hurry. fast. Yeah, but operators uh, are standing those by. Those of uh, who are familiar with this uh, uh, Bible <clears throat> reading calendar, it's it's a format that was uh, that that we discovered years ago from Mark Roberts, a preacher down in Texas, and I really like it. It's a five day a week reading schedule, you know, because it's so easy to miss a day and then you're then you're behind and can't catch up. This has five reading assignments per week, and if you miss a day, you've got a couple of days uh, to catch up. Yeah. And uh, you get through the whole Bible in a year, and it, it's uh, and it's done. It's it's arranged in chronological order. In other words, the the parts of the Bible that go together. And if you're in your Old Testament readings, uh, when you're reading along in the historical books of the Old Testament. Where a prophet fits in, then you'll read the book of that prophet, the yeah. writings of that prophet. Yeah. And I just really like the way it's arranged. We've been using it for several years, and yeah. uh, uh, it works real well. If you'd like to have a copy of that, send us an email. And we've been working hard to keep the price the same as it was last year. Yeah, we're keeping the price down. Inflation has not hit hit the calendars yet. <coughs> oh, that's right. They're still free, so just let us know okay. if you could use one. All right. We'll look forward to hearing from you if you could use that Bible reading calendar. All right. Uh, tonight's program should be very interesting. Uh, we've done a similar program in the past. And uh, I think we did it uh, back. Well, let's see here. It's been uh, oh, it's been several years ago. Uh, I can't find it. Let's see. It's yeah. It was back in 2009. What well, What was the title of that? Program? August 27, 2009. Questions the Church of Christ can't answer. 
Yeah, that was a we we found a website back then where this guy was suggesting that he had questions that we just simply couldn't deal with. Yep. And what we did at that time was deal with every question that he put out. You know, right. Just to show that we weren't afraid of questions asked about what we believe. Yes. We've come across another website. Uh, it's sort of anonymously presented. The the website is faithfacts.org. Words together, faith and facts. Faithfacts.org. And uh, there's quite a lot of information there, uh, but one of the one of the sort of departments on that website is world religions and theology, and there the, the author of this website has Bible questions for the Church of Christ. It's rather interesting to me that he links that, that under that same pull down menu, uh, he he addresses the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. He has a tab there for cults and heresies and heterodoxies. Uh, he has a, a tab there for Islam. So he he's pretty well pretty well lumping the Church of Christ in with cults and so yeah, forth. Yeah, he has he did another place in the article as well. And, and uh, so but, anyway, but he tries to describe. He gives a description, a doctrinal summary of what we believe. He says, uh, and so we wanted to deal with that. We wanted to. If if he has accurately described something that is is believed, we we would acknowledge it. If not, uh, we want to show where there is some discrepancy. His there. tone is very uh, uh, congenial. We think in this one, not like the one from two thousand. I would love to contact him and and actually talk with him in person, but he doesn't maybe, identify himself. But we may be able to contact. We him. might be able to. But uh, note notice here's how he introduces this part of his website. He says this article is an inside look at the Church of Christ. Our sources are from writings of Church of Christ preachers and college professors, uh, and then he gives a bibliography. He said, Church of Christ members are among the most sincere students of the Bible. They are attempting to bring the church back to pure biblical faith and obedient practice. This is most refreshing. They are a beacon of light in their effort to restore biblical Christianity. We as evangelicals unite with them on the view that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. However... Many Christians believe that the Church of Christ is mistaken on some key issues. We should note that Church of Christ people are not monolithic in their views. For simplicity's sake, we can divide the group into two factions. One group is the traditional faction. This group is sometimes referred to by outsiders as ultra-conservative or legalistic or legalistic patternist. One distinguishing mark of the traditional group is that they believe that salvation is at least partly by the works of man. See, there's there's one statement that he makes that we would already want to talk about. He says a second minority group has moved away from legalism to a more orthodox position consistent with other Protestants. This second group emphasizes, like most other Christians, that salvation is by grace. We are primarily concerned with addressing the views of the legalistic patternist, the traditional norm within the Church of Christ. Below is a summary of the doctrines of the majority of uh, within churches of Christ. The list below of doctrines is believed by all within the legalistic patternistic group and at least some of them are believed by most within the Church of Christ. Notice, now he says what he's about to describe is believed by all that he identifies in this legalistic patternist group. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he would be describing people like us. Mm -hmm. He says all of us believe all the things he's about to describe. Well, it's just not so. Okay. But, but again, I mean, his tone is not uh, antagonistic and not argumentative, and and, but I just think he's wrong in what he has uh, gone on to describe. Yes. It's a lengthy essay, Jacob. It is, very lengthy. Uh, we're going to take the first part of it tonight, but I think that we'll want to address some more of it in subsequent All virtual right. Bible studies. All right. I guess we'll just take them as we come. We don't have to give a, a, a preview yeah, here. We, I, he I, talks what, about baptism. What, he has a problem with how we pronounce baptism, which was that was more, one of the more picky ones in his uh and is listing uh, for tonight, uh, but uh, talking about what gospel means, do you obey the gospel, or is it just simply the story of Jesus and uh, and the redemption that he offers? And, uh, and let, let, let me let me re- read the part that we're going to cover tonight real okay, quickly, quickly, and then we're going to break this down into six parts. Now, what I sent out to our update list today earlier today is a direct quote from the essay, uh, not edited. Well, I did leave out one one link that he had in there, but these uh, no, we haven't altered his right. other than to add numbers for sake of references. Okay, right, right. These are verses. So, so here's okay. what he says. They believe that their group has restored the New Testament church, the ancient order. All other groups are in error, lost, and apostate. They reject denominationalism and believe that they themselves are not a denomination. This is an unquestioned orthodoxy, and they are careful not to use the term other denominations, as that would include themselves in the denominational world. 
They usually deny that there are true Christians in the denominational world. They put very high emphasis on, quote, wearing the right name, unquote, which means that any group that does not call itself, quote, Church of Christ, quote, cannot be part of the true church. The word church in Church of Christ often has a lowercase c, implying that they themselves are the church universal. They shun the use of historic creeds and confessions of Christendom and believe that they have no creed themselves, relying only on the Bible. Their views, however, are in print in journals and numerous tracts. They are famous for the creed-like formula, quote, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, unquote. The gospel is often defined in terms of what a person must do to be saved, quote, obey the gospel, unquote. This is distinctly different from other Christian groups who understand the gospel to be the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is only by immersion, and it is an unstated inference that baptism can only be performed by another member of the Church of Christ. It is crucial that the one being baptized understand that his baptism is specifically for the remission of sins. Anyone not baptized by this formula is doomed to hell. They even pronounce the word baptized differently by placing accent on the second syllable. <laughs> I don't get that. Anyway, that, that's the part of the answer. Yeah. We're going to stop right there. That goes on and on. We're going to stop right there and comment about these. I've, I've identified these six different things within that first uh, reading. <clears throat> We're going to have to go audio. faster than we have been so far to get them all in, but we'll look forward to hearing your thoughts on each of these as we get to them. The first one, they believe their group has restored the New Testament church, uh, in parentheses, the ancient order. All, the, all other groups are in error, lost, and apostate. I want to start out, Jacob, by just talking about the, the, the very notion that they believe. You know, uh, the idea that you could that you could state what all members of the Church of Christ believe. I, I don't represent anybody other than myself. You know, right. we, we we do not have a hierarchy of church government that that passes on rules and ordinances for the church, uh, and so. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this is what we believe. Uh, I'd, I'd be a lot more inclined to say this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I study the Bible, this is how I understand it. Uh, but to, to try and put a, a brand on it and say this is what they believe, and even as he said, they all believe these things, uh, uh, th- this summary of doctrines, uh, the list of doctrines is believed by all within the legalistic patternist group of the Church of Christ. I, I'm just hesitant to, to go there. I, I, I don't think we speak for others. We just speak for ourselves. Yeah, that's the only thing you can say because we are independent and uh, autonomous from other groups. So we know what we believe here. We don't know what the church across town believes necessarily. That's right. Uh, and, and and we're not speaking for others. Yeah. We're speaking for ourselves. Uh, and and I, I think that needs to be just pointed out. He says they believe that their group has restored the New Testament church. Has restored is in, is an, a past tense verb phrase. And, uh, I, I, I probably, if I, just a, this again, probably a minor quibble, but I would be more inclined to say we are attempting to restore the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, that, that's our ideal. That's the goal. That's what we're striving for. We often say we want to be a church just like the church you read about in the pages of the New Testament. We believe that if we go back to the to what they did, what first century Christians did under the inspired guidance of the of the apostles, if we do just as they did, it would have to be right. It couldn't be wrong. Absolutely. And and that's the principle that we're striving for. We're 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 trying to do just what now have have we attained perfection in that? I don't think so. I think I think there's obviously always areas in which we can grow and improve and be better, uh, more closely emulate the church that you read about in the New Testament, uh, and and we should strive to do so. Uh, but that is the ideal. I, and that again may be a minor quibble, but that is the ideal. The ancient order is the right order. What we read about in our Bible is right, and that's right. what we need to do. All right. Now. The last part of that statement, all other groups are in error, lost, and apostate. This really goes to the question, Jacob, of of the exclusive nature of truth. Right. Is truth knowable? And if it if if truth is knowable, then that which is not true is wrong. Error. Right. right. Uh Jesus said in John eight thirty, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, if you don't know the truth, 
then you're not going to be set free by it. And yeah. so uh, if there is truth, then those in error uh, would would be lost. And, well, they're certainly apostate, at least. They're certainly, they're certainly not faithful to the truth yeah. if they're not following the truth that's revealed in the Scriptures. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, and that gets back to, uh, to, to how you define truth. Now, either, and I don't believe this author would uh, agree that there are no groups that are in error, that are lost and that are apostate. I'm I, I'm fairly confident that this author would say that there are some groups that are in error, lost, and apostate. So if the author agrees that it is possible to be in error, to be lost, and apostate, then the question that must be asked is, how do we determine if you are in error, lost, and apostate? And the only way that you can determine if you are in error, lost, and apostate is if you have a standard. That standard, we believe, is the Bible. And if you're not following the Bible then we would uh, believe that you are in error, lost, and apostate. I think that's really a good point, Jacob. If there's, if he excludes any right. in, in his ecumenical view of the religious world, if he excludes anybody, and I get the idea from his website that he does, mm-hmm. if he excludes anybody, then upon what basis does he determine to exclude that group as being faithful in pursuit of right. uh, the religion of Jesus Christ? How right. does he identify right. this is right and that's wrong? The only way to do that is... By the scriptures, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing to me that that in religion, for some reason, nobody wants to say there is truth and error. You know, in mathematics, there's one right answer to a to a a problem. In you know, uh, in science, there's there's right and wrong. Uh, but when it comes to religion, everybody's afraid to say that's right, that's true, that's that's false, that's error, that's wrong. Right. Okay. We need to get a break. We'll get back. We'll talk about denominationalism. He says we reject denominationalism and believes that we are not a denomination. That would imply that he does not reject denominationalism. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Don't go anywhere. The Birch Bible Study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any different plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. No one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Put your heart, mind, and soul into even your smallest acts. It is the secret of success. Judge each day not by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. Be kind whenever possible. And, by the way, it's always possible. Man, wish I'd said that. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're uh, back on the program tonight talking about, uh, well, the, uh, essay that uh, claims uh, to uh, analyze and uh, depict uh, the beliefs of the Church of Christ. We're looking at them, comparing them with what we believe, and to see if they're accurate. We want to hear from you. Give us a call on the phone tonight. We got a couple of emails before we move on. We got a couple of emails in response to this. First, when Anthony says, first, I would say that we should use this as an opportunity to make sure that we do not similarly paint other religious groups or any group of people, for that matter, with broad brushes. We should always be careful to accurately represent folks with whom we disagree, because if we don't, we lose credibility. This essay is wrong on many levels. I didn't read the whole thing, just the quotations below, so I don't know for sure whether the author intentionally misrepresents the facts or is just ignorant. But as in regards to this first statement, he says, I mostly agree with the main idea at this point, though I would state in a, in a way the author, I wouldn't state it in the way the author did. My main issue is the way he talks about their group, essentially acting like anyone with the words Church of Christ on their building is a part of a global denomination. 
I don't really even like the term restoration. This implies that the church disappeared at some point and someone had to bring it back. Certainly the Catholic Church took so much of the world into apostasy that anything different was seen as either a reformation or a restoration. But really the church has always been there. We're just choosing to belong to it. I agree that any group that does not follow the New Testament pattern is lost, apostate, and in error. All right. Mike in Orleans, Indiana says, From the very beginning it seems as though this author has difficulty understanding what undenominational Christianity is. The article uses phrases like, They believe, such and such referring to groups known as Church of Christ. I know of congregations that worship with the instrument and those who do not, those who support Bible camps, colleges, and missionary societies from their collection and others that do not. I know of some who teach baptism for their mission of sin, and a few I've heard that some no longer teach this. Some have women ministers, others do not. I could go on and on. Could someone please tell me which congregation represents all of us, which is the Orthodox congregation by which all others are measured? First Timothy chapter five uh, or six verses three through five he he, uh, he uh, references here. Um, I would not stop at one denomination, but doesn't this verse teach that even a, a group that calls themselves Church of Christ, um, if they are not teaching what Jesus and the apostles taught, aren't they in error, lost and apostate? He references First Timothy six three through five. Then you, uh, one teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which uh, accords with godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. And it goes on in, uh, in verse 5 there in First Timothy chapter 6, does, tells us to withdraw ourselves from those who are teaching error. So Mike just establishes the fact that it is possible to be in error, lost, and apostate. Yeah. In the, in the chat room, uh, Nick says, does not the concept of restore, as they are using it, uh, indicates Christianity was lost until we came along and restored it? I don't believe any true Christian believes Satan overcame Christianity. I, I think that's right, and I, I didn't really pick up on that. Anthony did in his email, and, and Nick did. Uh, David in the chat room says, you're absolutely right, Nick. That would mean that the kingdom perished, which would also contradict what the Bible teaches about the kingdom of God. And All right. I agree. All right. If you're not signed in the chat room, it's easy to do. Follow the instructions there. All right. Uh, the next uh, point that he made is they reject denominationalism and believe that they themselves are not a denomination. This is an unquestioned orthodoxy, and they are careful not to use the term other denominations, as that would include themselves in the denominational world. They usually deny that there are true Christians in the denominational world. So he says that we reject denominationalism. I think we're going to find out that uh, we all agree with that statement. Yeah, we do reject denominationalism. And the reason we reject it is because it's contrary to the will of Jesus Christ. In John 17, <coughs> verse 20, Jesus was praying before his arrest and crucifixion. And he had been praying specifically for his apostles. But he went on to say in John 17, 20, neither pray I for these alone. In other words, not just for the apostles but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Right. That would include all of us, right? Right. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, notice, Jesus prayed for unity of his followers, a unity, not not some kind of unity and diversity. You believe one thing, right. I'll believe another, and but we'll, we'll claim we're united. Yeah. He he wants a unity like the unity that exists between him and the Father, mm-hmm. which is of course perfect harmony. Yes, N- no disagreement or or, or uh, contradiction whatsoever. That's the unity that Jesus wants. Now, the denominational world. What is it? The word denomination. Yes, chaos, and the word denomination itself means division. Yeah. And so if we sign off on as endorsing or being happy with denominationalism, a divided religious world, we're going exactly contrary to the will of Jesus Christ as he expressed in this last prayer before his arrest. All right. Uh, David in the chat room references Ephesians chapter 4, the one passage there in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you're called in one hope, you're calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Lots of ones there, unity, uh, and we must have that unity, and that unity can only be found on an absolute standard, and that standard being God's word. We can't find it uh, with the denominational creeds that are in the world today. We're going to talk a little bit about creeds in a minute, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, yeah. but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. You know, 
I think probably one of the most effective things that Satan was ever able to accomplish in the religious world was to get people to think denominationalism is okay. That you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and we're all just going to happily go along our way. Uh, I've heard people say it's just like different roads to the same destination. We're all serving the same master. And and, even even phrases like uh, anybody who calls God Father is my brother. Yeah. You know, statements yeah, like yeah. that. Well, and what it does is it, it reduces the need to comply with the scriptures. Because if denominationalism is okay, and you believe that I've got to be baptized to be saved, and Monty believes that I don't, that I just have to stand on my head in the corner, well, denominationalism is okay, so Monty and Greg are both right. It doesn't really matter. Why do we need to go to the scriptures and make sure we're doing what God says? Because, hey, it's okay for us to disagree. Yeah. Monty, you've been awful quiet. Have they got anything to throw in? Y'all are covering it real well. All right. Well, join All in right. here now. We want to hear from you. All right. So let's let's see what some of our respondents have said. Uh, uh, David says they say God is big enough for everyone. Well, I think that's true, of he course. Uh, but that not. doesn't mean that he accepts just whatever men want to throw at him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was big enough for uh, Nadab and Abihu, but he didn't accept what they were doing. Yeah. Uh, he Anthony, was big enough for, for Cain, but he didn't accept what Cain did. Anthony has emailed and said, I re- yes, I reject denominationalism. I do not think the Church of Christ is a denomination. It can't be by definition. Christ built one church. That's that Ephesians 4 passage that David was mentioning in the chat room. Christ built one church. It's only, it's only those man-made splinter groups that are denomination. denomination. I do not agree with the term unquestioned orthodoxy. There is no Church of Christ orthodoxy or even doctrine. We are simply Christians trying to apply the Bible to our lives and to the corporate structure of the body of believers. As for Christians in the denominational world, I don't completely agree with this, but it may be a matter of wording. Anyone who believes the right thing and is baptized for the right reasons has been added by God to the church. He or she may not be worshiping with a group that wears the right name or that functions in an authorized way, but in a sense he's still a Christian. He needs to be taught more about what defines a scriptural congregation Also, though I doubt very seriously that this situation exists, it's theoretically possible that several individuals who followed the biblical plan of salvation have banded together and worship according to the New Testament authority, but call themselves something other than Church of Christ. These people would be Christians, and this would be a congregation of Lord's people. We're going to talk about the the name uh, in in a a subsequent point, so we'll we'll reserve comment for that. I wouldn't doubt that it. I wouldn't doubt that it exists, though. I think it's very possible, very very likely that it exists. Yeah, yeah. But we'll talk Uh, about that in a minute. That's right. That's right. So just one slight disagreement there. Uh, uh, Mike uh, says, if one defines true Christians according to biblical terms, what would a true Christian be in a denomination? Uh, Or would a true Christian be in a denomination? I'm not saying that. Under some scenario, a person may have taught themselves the truth about salvation, or someone else may have, and they obeyed God's plan of hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. That doesn't mean that they have ever even heard of a group that wouldn't worship with an instrument because... Uh, they thought it was sinful. Being a Christian does not mean that we have every doctrine figured out or we understand it all. We might be wrong on some things. However, a true Christian should be growing, Second Peter 3.18. One would hope that eventually a Christian would study most issues enough to understand and accept what the Bible taught, so eventually the erring Christians would come out of that error. I won't say there aren't Christians in the denominational world. In fact, I would say that it is highly likely that there are some out there somewhere. But I would think they should remain... Should I wouldn't think they should remain there indefinitely. Thank right. you, Mike. So both Anthony and Mike have suggested that. You know, first of all, we got to point out we're not the judge of such matters anyway. Right, you know, uh, right. And so uh, God knows those who are truly his, yep. and, and that's good. That's that's great. We can be grateful for it. But let, let's say that, that uh, I learned about Jesus. I understood what it, what I needed to do. Upon hearing the truth, I believed it. I was willing to uh, repent of my sins and confess my faith in Christ and be baptized for the remission of sins. But it just so happened that that initially, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is even possible, but let's say I ended up in a Methodist church. I don't think the Methodists would probably let me do that much independent thinking and get to that point. But let's say that I'm kind of studying on my own. I've been, attend- I've been attending at a Methodist church Uh and I've even known of instances like this. And so upon reading and studying my Bible, I insisted that the Methodist church preacher baptize me by immersion. Mm-hmm. And he did, reluctantly, he did. Would I be a Christian based upon what I've understood so far? 
Well, possibly so, like, likely so. But as I keep studying, I'm going to find out pretty fast that the Methodist Church is doing a lot of stuff that's not true to the Scripture. And I won't be in that Methodist Church very long. If I'm an honest truth seeker, mm-hmm. I'll be moving on. And and so, yeah, and I've know, heard stories about people who, who who are in denominations who asked to be uh, to to be baptized according to the biblical pattern because of what they've studied. I'm listening real carefully how you say baptized, so I'm, oh, okay. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> baptized, <laughs> uh, Monty. One would think that if a person was in that situation, by the time they come to realize that they needed to be baptized through immersion as opposed to sprinkling or some other method that might be used, that they would have already understood that this place isn't an acceptable place to worship because the pattern they're following by this sprinkling or infant baptism or whatever is not the one found in the Bible. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wanted it to be done the correct way. Right. Okay. Uh, In the chat room, Philip mentions Matthew 7. Yes, he does. His name is Philip Kent Clark, which is... uh, well, he—that's backwards for Superman, obviously. That's and I, he Clark had, Kent, right? Well, yeah. And his his Facebook handle is Man Super. So, oh, okay. I don't know if that's uh, well. Here's a he, name he, or an actual name, but glad he, to hear, Philip. He, he references Matthew seven twenty one, beginning. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and I will profess them to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I think it's a great passage, and and I think it's the reason Philip has mentioned it to us. That is, here are some people who call Jesus Lord and who are involved in religious activities, and yet Jesus said, I never knew you because you worked lawlessness or iniquity. They weren't following the truth of the Scripture. Nick in the chat room says, There's a movement in the denominational world now that embraces the Jewish faith, Muslim faith, and many others as acceptable to God. They are quickly moving away from the need of the death of Jesus. How else could it be when you accept Jews as be as saved without Christ? This is not a straw man argument, but the actual belief of politically correct America. So uh, it looks, you know, he's saying that uh, that there are lots of people who are, are, are saying that it doesn't really matter what you believe. I, I think that's exactly right. And of course, the, the, that's a little bit of a side point, but you know, uh, if you if you can be saved as a practicing Jew or a practicing Muslim. Then Jesus is a liar because in Matthew fourteen six Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me." If you can be saved be, being a non-believing Jew or a Muslim, then Jesus uh, is a liar, and his death was unnecessary. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it just destroys the whole system of faith upon which we we serve God. If you can say that people can be saved without believing in Jesus, all right. You know, if you could be saved without being in Je- believing in Jesus and not following the New Testament pattern, then really Jesus, would you'd have to say, was sort of dumb to come and leave heaven, oh, yeah. So, yeah. subject himself to being human, growing up, then allow himself to be tortured and, and killed on a cross through the intense agony that he had to go through, the scourging and all the things that he went to, yeah. the rejection and abandonment by his followers and all that. He would have to be stupid to have done all that if this wasn't absolutely necessary. Right, right, absolutely. Thank you, Money. All right. Oh, All right. That's let, his let, real name. Okay. All right. All right. Let, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to move on a little faster. We're going to talk about wearing the right name when we come back. All right. We'll, we'll uh, get uh, that your comments on the other side of the break uh, after the bullet point. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Nobody is doing anything. From time to time, we hear this complaint expressed by members of a local congregation. The grievance may arise out of a genuine frustration at the lack of progress in the work of the church. Such failure may be the result of poor leadership, or it may be the consequence of internal strife, or it might just be the outcome of spiritual laziness. Whatever the case, these matters need to be addressed and corrected. If, in fact, nobody is doing anything, that situation cannot be tolerated. We must find out why. We must fix the problems and get to work. However, this objection, nobody's doing anything, is often muttered by negative and cantankerous brethren who seem to think it's their exclusive job to point out the failings of all others in the church. Unfortunately, these constant fault finders tend to exist in every congregation. We have a couple of questions for these continuous complainers. First, how do you know that nothing is being done? Are you fully aware of everything that everyone else is doing? They are good-hearted souls that are working hard every day. 
They're not trying to make a big splash or to make a name for themselves. Rather, they're trying to accomplish God's will and bring glory to his name. Do not assume that nothing is being done simply because it's not being publicly announced to you. Secondly, what are you doing? Think about that expression. Nobody is doing anything. Are you somebody? Is there something that you can do? If there's a job that needs doing, why don't you step up and do it? The energy you waste in complaining could go a long way toward fixing the problem. Get to work. Yes, real problems in the church need to be identified. And yes, issues must be resolved. But are you willing to be a part of the solution? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And we welcome you back to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more about us, and you should, because there is no standard Church of Christ doctrine or creed. You need to find out more about what we believe in practice. You can do so by visiting our website. You can do so by listening to the archives of this program that are on our website at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You can do more investigation and finding out what we believe in practice by visiting our worship services. We'd welcome you if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area to come and find out more about us by visiting our worship services, find out more about our meeting times and location at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we will remind you if you have any questions uh, and you'd like to uh, contact us, use the email address questions at collegeview.com. And you can also use that email address for suggestions for future topics to be discussed on the Virtual Bible Study Maybe you have just a simple question that we could use in a a program with many different questions, or maybe you have a a suggestion that would take a whole hour to discuss. We'd welcome any of those suggestions or questions at questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about a summary that uh, says it's a doctrinal summary of the Church of Christ on the program tonight, and we want to investigate whether it is an accurate summary of what we believe, and we're talking about that on the program tonight. We welcome your comments. Here's the next point we want to go to. Again, we're just kind of taking this essay apart, paragraph or phrase by phrase, really, we're, uh, and trying to answer whether this accurately describes something believed by you, me, and Monty. Jacob, that's a that's there's, as far there's as we three can go. of us here in the room, and right. and we're not presuming to speak for anybody right. other than ourselves. Yep. Uh, but uh, the, the, this essay goes on to say they put a very high emphasis on wearing the right name. That's in quotations. Quote wearing the right name. Unquote. Yes. Which means that any group that does not call itself quote, Church of Christ, unquote, cannot be part of the true church. The word church and Church of Christ is often a lowercase c, implying that they call they themselves implying that they themselves are the church universal. I didn't realize that that's what the lowercase c meant. Uh, I didn't either. I, I think but, the reason we do that well we can talk about it. I think the reason we do that is to to try to to disassociate from the idea that we are a denomination right. that that it's a to disassociate that as a title rather than a description. Church of Christ is a descriptive. Yes. Uh, you know, that's that's what it is. It's the church that belongs to Jesus. Right. It's the church of Christ. That's what that phrase means, and yeah. it's a descriptive rather than a than a title. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, but, but let's get back to his the, the main point of his, his uh, statement here is that we put an emphasis on wearing the right name. Well, we do. Well... Could you call it the Church of Bob? Bob. Yeah. Well, no, it's not the oh, Church of Bob. I think there. I think there was a Church of What's Happening Now. You remember that church? Yeah. 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 Uh, th- th- are you good with that name? No, but but get back to the Church of Bob. As Monty just said, Bob didn't die for the church. It's not his. It doesn't yeah. belong to him. It's the Church of Christ. It belongs to Jesus. It's the church or the assembly, the called out ones that belong to Jesus. Yeah. That's that's what that phrase describes, and yeah. that's why we insist that. Biblical terminology be used to describe this group, this group, this organization. Yeah. Uh, now, that's not the only descriptive that we find in. No, the and it's not the only name that, you, that we think you can wear in order to be a part of the true church. You know, there are other descriptions. The Church of the Firstborn is yeah. a phrase in the New Testament. Uh, the Church of God yeah. is a phrase in yeah. the New Testament. But those are descriptives. Uh, they tell what it is, yeah. and uh, that that's what we're, we're insisting on, rather than you know. Why would I want to call it the Lutheran Church yeah. after Martin Luther? Why would I want to name it after a man who did not die for it? Right. Why, why, why would I want to call it the Baptist Church or the Methodist Church, uh, Wesleyan Methodist Church after the Wesley Brothers? Why? Yeah. Why would I? Why would you choose that name? 
uh, why wouldn't you, why would you not use a descriptive found uh, in the Bible. Nick in the chat room says, I have for many years taught that the expression Church of Christ is merely a descriptive phrase, such as many other such phrases found in Scripture. I do not teach you need a sign that uses the phrase Church of Christ to be walking according to the New Testament. We'd agree with you, Nick. Thank yeah. you for your comment. And, and, and what you would put on a sign or a, what, what we would call this local congregation, we call it a Church of Christ, we could call it a church of God, but judgment-wise, that probably be bad judgment because there there is a man-made organization called, in fact, there's more than one, yeah. called the Church of God. Right. And so that'd be confusing. We don't want to confuse our message. We're going to call ourselves a Church of Christ. Certainly, it's biblical, but it's not exclu- it's not the exclusive descriptive in the in the scriptures. Right, Monty. You know, when you think about it, to call it. A Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Lutheran church or any of these other names is would is really confusing because if we believe that it, the church belongs to God, that Jesus founded the church and instituted it, and it belongs to him, why would we call it somebody else's name? I mean, we're, we're confusing the subject. Just keep it what it is. And if it is the church that belongs to Jesus, then Church of Christ is a good name for it. If it's the Lutheran church, it belongs to somebody else. It's not Christ's church. It's somebody else's church. So just keep it simple. Call it what it is. And if it is the church that belongs to Jesus, call it Church of Christ. And if it's something else, then whatever name they want to call it, it's just as good as any. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. <laughs> but, but, well, what, are you, what are you reading, Jacob? I just found some humorous church. I mean, the, the Accident Baptist Church, or the, the, the Greater Second Baptist Church, is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. So it's not their second, but they're great. They're better than the first. Yeah. So, again, th- th- this statement uh, is really off the mark. Uh, we do any group. We believe that any group that does not call itself Church of Christ cannot be part of the true church. That's just not so. That's, that is not accurate. All right, let's move on quickly, Jacob. we got some more we want to cover. All right. I think uh, that we're going to spend another week or two dealing with this essay because we're really just scratching the surface. Here. There's, it's a long essay, and there's a lot of there's a lot of error in, in what it says about what is taught here or what, what is believed here. So we're going to probably continue to deal with this. But he goes on to – oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, we got we comments got in the chat room that are pouring in uh, let, here. Let me, go, go ahead. Let me get back. to Anthony's comments about wearing the name – Anthony says, we do indeed put an emphasis on calling Bible things by Bible names. What's wrong with that? If I want to follow the Bible completely and be dedicated to doing things only by its authority, then I'm going to strive very hard to call things by the right names. Clearly, the Lord's church is called a few different things in the Bible. We could use any of those names. So to say that any church that does not use the name Church of Christ is not the true church is just not so. All right. And Mike uh, in Orleans, Indiana says, I know some have made a big issue out of this in the past, but again, because we are autonomous, no one or even a few can speak for the whole. The term Church of Christ is a convenient term to use because it gives one idea of what a particular group might believe, but no guarantees. I do not believe that the first century church had a universal label to identify their group. They're simply called, they just simply called themselves the church, which is why John could write to the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, etc. in Revelation. He also, or he didn't have to write to the Baptist church at Pergamos or the Catholic church at Ephesus because there was no such thing. No denominational divisions existed in the early church, and likewise, they shouldn't today. However, since it's Christ's church, he built it in Matthew 16, verse 18, and paid for it with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. If we do refer to it, should it bear his name rather than being named after a mere man or some doctrine? At the very least, shouldn't it be referred to as something biblical? Thank you, Mike, for your comments. All right. Uh, that, and David in the chat room agrees that it could be anything biblical. Yeah. Uh, Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, says in the New Testament, the church is called Church of God, Body of Christ, the House of God, the Kingdom, the Flock of God. So there's just a lot of different descriptives. Tim, Tim says you could call it the Church of the Gentiles, Romans 16, verse 4, Church of the Firstborn, Hebrews 12, 23, along with a few more. Uh, all right. All right. So let's move on. I, I think we got that covered and I think we understand it. I think it's a, that's a, a pretty easy point. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that, that the author of this essay did not understand that, but let's move on quickly because we're going to run out of time. The fourth point that we picked out of this essay, and these are all just, I mean, we didn't edit this down. This is just as it went point by point. Okay. Number four, they shun the use of the historic, they shun the use of the historic creeds and confessions of Christendom and believe that they have no creed themselves, relying only on the Bible. Their views, however, are in print in journals and numerous tracts, and they are famous for the creed-like formula, quote, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, 
unquote. All right. Um, yes, I would agree with the first part. Yes, we shun the use of historic creeds and confessions of Christendom. Uh, we, we're reminded of the famous words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So basically, Jacob, I think as we've described this before, if someone presented something more than what is in the New Testament, it'd be wrong. If they presented something less than what's in the New Testament, they'd be wrong. If they presented the same thing that's in the New Testament, we've already got that. The New Testament is all we need. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, verse three. Thir- go ahead, it thoroughly furnished us. Our, According uh, to his divine power, has given unto us all, all things, things that pertain to life and God. godliness Thank through you. the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So we believe the Bible has everything that we need. We do shun human creeds, and we do claim that we just rely on the Bible. Now, he has and a little... That's, and that's a biblical concept, by the way, just rely on the Bible... First Peter 4, verse 11, Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We should, we should use the Bible. We should rely completely on the Bible. But he thinks that he has a quibble here. He says their views, however, are in print, in journals, and numerous tracts. Well, because we may express our views, just like we may express them on the virtual Bible study, does not mean that that is a creed. No, that's right. I, I believe... We, we put out a church bulletin every week, Jacob, and in it there are articles that describe... Various things about uh, our faith, uh, how we should believe and practice. In other words, we might have an article in there about what is scriptural worship. But that's just one man, maybe me or some other man, expressing what they believe the Bible teaches concerning scriptural worship. That does not become our creed. That's just an explanation of what we're wait, 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 If anybody wants to be a member of the church, we say, well, here, look at this bulletin article here. If you don't believe what this bulletin article says, then you're not a member. Yeah, we don't say no. that. We say, if you don't believe what this Bible says, then you are not a member. Okay. All right. I think that's, I'm a little surprised. At that. I was actually shocked to, that we reject creeds, but we write things. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does, that's apples and oranges. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. Um, Let's read what some of our others are well, saying. we need to take a break, and then we'll get their okay. comments. All right, we're going to the top of the hour after this. We've got a couple more things to talk about, but we want your thoughts. Let us know on the program tonight as we go to break. We'll be right back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. 62% of U.S. adults age 66 and older believe the Bible contains everything a person needs to know about living a meaningful life. That drops down to 54% among boomers aged 47 to 65%, 44% among those aged 29 to 46 and dropping even further to 34% for those aged 18 to 27 On average, 85% of U.S. households own a Bible, and the average number of Bibles per household is 4.3. 36% of Americans read the Bible less than once a year or never, while 33% read the Bible once a week or more. That information is via the American Bible Society. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program. We've got to go fast to the top of the hour as we look at a, an essay that tried to give a summary of the doctrinal beliefs of the Church of Christ. We're comparing that with what we believe, seeing if it's accurate. All right, uh, we, we, we're talking about the rejection of human creeds, uh, and Anthony says in an email, this statement is clearly prejudiced. We do shun man-made creeds and creed books simply because they are not authorized by the Scriptures. Tracts and publications are not creeds or creed books. They are not held as special text or considered to be authoritative. In fact, we very often stress the exact opposite point. 
the five steps of the plan of salvation is not a creed by any stretch. It's simply a succinct way of explaining what the Bible says one has to do to be saved. And and Mike in Orleans says, I know of no church of Christ that shuns the most historic creed of all, the Bible. Why write a creed? We believe we are to, to believe the entire Bible, so any creed short of the Bible itself is incomplete. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. If the creed is true, it is redundant, simply repeating what the Bible says. If the creed is false, it violates the principle of adding to God's word. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Revelation 22, verse 18. What's wrong? Mike says, with hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Now, now by the way, just, just to remind you, that's what he says. That we've got a creed-like formula. Oh, yes. This hear, believe, repent, confess, They're be baptized. Famous. We're famous for that yeah, creed-like yeah, formula. Yeah. All right? so, Mike says, what's wrong with it? He says, I could list hundreds of other things that are also taught in churches of Christ. We should expect uniformity in many areas if we are all following the same pattern in the Bible. Just because something is universally taught doesn't make it a creed like those in denominationalism. It might merely mean that it's a biblical teaching. Teaching those universal truths in published form does not make them a denominational creed either. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, it's like saying, you know, you know Jesus it, it, was born of a virgin. Oh, that's a creed. That's a, you can't say that. They no. say that in they say that in every church. That's a creed. Yeah. No, it's a biblical truth. Yeah. It's not a creed, it's a biblical truth. Right. And when we express the plan of salvation, if someone asks as they did frequently in the in the book of Acts, for instance, uh, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter and the apostles had preached the first gospel sermon, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Right. Well, what shall we do? Well, upon hearing the truth, you need to believe it. And then, based upon that faith, you should repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus and be baptized for the remission of sins. That's what the Bible teaches. We can cite verses uh, here, Romans ten seventeen. Believe Hebrews eleven verse six. Repent Luke thirteen three. Confess Romans ten ten. Be baptized for the remission of sins Acts two thirty eight. We're that's just a summary of biblical teaching on what a person must do to be saved. Just like Anthony said. Yeah. Now, if we made it up, if we had made up here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Yeah. You know, that's not in the Bible. You just made that well, up. Then that's a creed. Yeah. Right. But, if uh, that if that was the case, it would be a creed. Right. Okay. But it's not. Okay. We're, we're we just. It's just a a thumbnail summary of what the Bible teaches right. concerning salvation. All right. Uh, and Nick says it's not the sinner's prayer, which is not found in the Bible, a, a creedal basis of salvation as dictated by men. And that would be one. Um, Tim says it is true. He may also be talking about John R. Howard, who was one of the contributing founders of doctrine often experienced in Churches of Christ. He wrote a creed but started... But stated it was not a creed. He published Bible Advocate in Tennessee in the 1830s and 40s and is fam- most famous for his sermon called Identification of the Church of Christ he gave in ni- 1848. The creed yeah, but, but now think about this. And I appreciate Tim giving us that bit of history, but and I, I'm probably expressing my ignorance here. I've never heard of John R. Howard. I've, now, if he's the author of our creed, and we and, and we have a creed, and we follow a man-made creed. You'd think we'd at least know about it, or see and, and it. know the author of it, and see a copy of it. Yeah. Uh, so it, I think Tim, you're 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 showing you're demonstrating our point. We we don't follow man-made creed. Although well, he says the creed he wrote was later not continued, but he still wrote a creed during the history of Church of Christ doctrine. Okay, okay. Uh, interesting. Thank but you, Tim. It was his creed. It wasn't our creed. That's right. David, and that goes back to what we said at the start, Monty. You know, you just can't speak for everybody else. You speak for yourself. I don't believe. I don't believe the creed that that uh, John R. Howard wrote. I didn't know of him. I didn't know what he wrote. Uh, I don't follow his creed. I follow the Bible. All right, Tim goes on. The plan of salvation here, believe, etc., was first started by Walter Scott and included six items of basically a call, a response, and and response between us and God. It was later changed to five things so kids could better learn it on their fingers. Then later down the road of history, God's responses were taken out, and the five things turned to just our actions of the plan of salvation. I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I, uh, never, I, again, you've never—I've never heard of that before. Never seen that. No. Uh, and uh, certainly Walter Scott, I think he was one of those early preachers in the so-called Restoration movement. And I think he was moving in the right direction as to what do the Bible, what's the Bible teach one must do in order to be saved. But it wasn't a creed. It was, he was teaching what the Bible taught. And that's just what we're trying to do here. We're, we're not, we're not teaching human creeds. Uh, and, and we reject them. Now, David says most churches believe their creed is completely biblical. However, the point has, was made that any creed that is completely biblical is redundant and not needed. Yeah. 
All right, All right we got to hurry. Two yeah, more. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get we're done here. We're not going to get done. We've got six minutes. All right, let's, let's, go, let's go to this next one. He says the go- uh, he says we believe that the gospel is 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 often <laughs> defined in terms of what a person must do to be saved. Quote, obey the gospel. Unquote. This is distinctly different from other Christian groups who understand the gospel to be the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, he says everybody else believes that the gospel is just the good news about what Jesus has done. And our idea, in fact, we often, and we do use the expression, obey the gospel. You have yes. to obey the gospel. Well, and he says we're off on that. Well, it's, The gospel is not something you obey, in other words, that it is simply the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the but, forgiveness of sins. But he's actually wrong there. You know, just a, you know, almost just a simple uh, referral to a, a concordance, concordance yeah. would have helped here. Uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the Lord is coming in faint, flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not the gospel and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is something to be obeyed. If you don't obey it, the Lord's going to judge you and punish you. Uh, look in First Peter chapter 4. Verse 17. Go ahead. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? All right, so again, the gospel is something to be obeyed. Yes, and there, are some. And there is good news in the gospel. We don't we don't deny that the important news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is vital in the gospel. But the gospel also teaches what one must do in order to be and saved. And that is good news because it tells us what we yeah. need to do in response to God. Look, uh, look so at this passage, Jacob. Real easy, simple. Mark sixteen fifteen. he said to them, go ye into all, he told his apostles, Jesus told his apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What were they to do? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The gospel would include instructions about what they were to do. It would tell about Jesus and his redeeming sacrifice, but it would also tell how you respond to that sacrifice in obedience. Right. So, again, I think that's wrong. Let's read our emailers real quick. All right. Anthony says this is just flat wrong. The term gospel is used in many different ways. Men are the ones who have assigned the definition of the story of Jesus' life in the first four books of the New Testament as the gospel. The Bible itself does not use the term gospel in this way. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that he's uh, letting get what I think what he's getting at is the idea of the good news of God's plan of salvation, which, of course, includes Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Obey the gospel is taken directly from the Bible in Second Thessalonians 1, 8 and First Peter 4, 17. And our use of the phrase, this phrase is completely consistent with the scriptures. All right. And Mike in Orleans, Indiana says the term gospel is simply a term that means good news. The Bible contains a lot of good news. So the term gospel is used to describe many things. First of all, obeying the gospel is biblical. Uh, and he references the verses we already looked at. Second Including Romans 10, verse 16. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and not all obeyed the gospel. So the, the idea of obeying the gospel is certainly biblical. Mm-hmm. He says, seeing that gospel simply means good news, the term is used to describe the good news of many things. Jesus preached about the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 4.23. Paul wrote of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, that God sent his son and made salvation available to mankind, Acts 20.24. Sometimes it only included the story of Jesus, the gospel of his son, Romans 1 verse 9. It is a message so important that a person's salvation depends upon whether they accept it or not. The gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. It is the tool by which people are converted to the Christian faith. In Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. I agree with all that, Mike. All Thank right. you. And Nick, and Nick in the chat room includes Acts chapter 6, verse 7, as another th- uh, statement that means the same thing as, uh, ob- uses the term obedient to the faith. Uh, and so, which he says is the same thing as being obedient to the gospel. All right. right. We're out of time, Jacob. We didn't get to the. Well, oh, the, yeah. the you weren't going to squeeze point. in the last one? No, that's too important. We're not going to rush through the last one about baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. We'll, we'll talk about that. that that's a, a really mistaken representation of what we believe. And we're going to, we're going to go on with this essay. We're going to add some more points to be discussed next week. I think it, I think it's uh, really interesting to see what this man mistakenly believes that we believe and try to correct that. So we're going we're to spend a little more time with that as we continue next week. All right. We'll get to that next week. We'll hope you'll be back here next week as we continue the discussion and we add more to it. We'll look forward to that uh, with you next week. Monty, uh, good to have you with us, although, uh, well, we didn't give you much chance to talk, and I'm sorry for that.
I said all I needed to say. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you for being here. All right. Thanks for all. We had a busy chat room going on we tonight. Did. We appreciate all of you in there for your comments. Right. And, uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Thank you for your time. Next Thanks. year, we'll be back next, next year. Be back. See you next year. See you next year. And we look forward to seeing you as well. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.